I do not know many your age who grasp radial polarization. I'm interested in it because I thought it would be fun to have a friend across the galaxy. I once worked on my own subspace frequency. I bet I could generate one by rewiring this bio bit. That would be an impressive feat. Though Dr. Mabenga might object. Pardon me, Mr. Spock. The boy needs his rest. It's a big day tomorrow. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton amplifying his neural dampening device to full blast in order to talk to Cam on Cam's level. I like it. I like it. Now, Tyler, do you remember some time ago when we were doing episodes like Dark Frontier um, a couple other two-parters, how, like, we discovered that UPN had, like, themed weeks yeah. for its, like, programming, how you had, like, Dark Seduction Week was the week that Dark Frontier came out. There was a few of them. That's the one that always jumps to mind. Is this, uh, you know, week's coverage on subspace Child Endangerment Week? Because, like, we have two episodes this week, and uh, it was not the most fun doubleheader I've ever had in doing research for this podcast. And by that, I assume you're talking about uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which we'll uh, talk about at the end. I, yeah. I, look, I want to give props to Strange New Worlds uh, for finding a child character even more annoying than Leia. So look, uh, <laughs> Star Trek's not to be taught by Star Wars in this situation here. Yeah, so this was um, an interesting episode, this Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach, which, you know, very classic poetic Star Trek title. Um We've never cut, cut had to the a... chase, Cam. Cut to the chase. This this is, I think, Star Trek: uh, Strange New World's first dud. It, w- would you agree with that? I don't know, and I think part of oh, me is... have an opinion. Have an opinion, sir. Oh, I have an opinion, and my opinion is that like this episode was so depressing that it falls in that category where it's like almost like my negative emotions walking away from the episode of just being like, oof, like that was just kind of unpleasant. I feel almost like colors my perception of the whole, you know, the whole hour of television. So I think as we talk it through, we can kind of break it down. But like that to me really did hang over it. You know, that episode, I've cited it before. I think it's the quickening in um, DS9 where Bashir goes to that plague planet. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. That's an episode that like, I'm not going to say it's a bad episode, but I find it so unpleasant to watch people just be sick for an hour straight that when it's over, I'm like, okay. Okay. Is there any sunlight? <laughs> but let, let me ask you this, though. This was not uh, what the episode's tone was for the first, I would say, 80% of it. The yeah. first 80% of it, I was pretty bored. And it was actually the last 20% where, you know, I was thinking, oh, man, Pike's going to get mid-Samard now. Yeah. Then I thought it kind of got a little bit more interesting with that uh, bit of a turn there and got like an extra weird... I, I just I, overall, I can just look at this and I can say confidently this was Strange New World's first dud. This episode just did not work on any level throughout. You know, I, I didn't care about the story as we found out about a child genius that was the savior of some sort of alien planet. And when they turned it around and they're like, oh, you know what? It's just cultural differences. What can you really do? Like you said, Cam, you kind of leave it off. I I don't think the writers even like really thought this one out where they're like, okay, so by the end of it, there's nothing you can do, which means uh, Pike's got to take a big swig of whiskey at the end. Like this one just doesn't have much of a, doesn't have much pizzazz to it throughout and doesn't really have kind of a, 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 a dinger of an ending to wind things up either. This is mostly like, yeah, let's make it weird at the end and make you depressed as well. Yeah, it had some shades of Taste of Armageddon from the original series, which was a, another very dark episode. Um, that one, in case people have forgotten, is the one where it's like the um, the society puts on the elaborate war games and then people have to sacrifice their lives if their side lost. Um, but I found like an episode like that, which is dealing with very heavy subject matter as well, is able to present it in a way where it's not just like, well, you're going to be depressed now. It felt like it would have more of an argument and be making, I don't know, like a stronger thesis at the end. I think my problem for this was like, 
there's like genuine arguments Pike could be making. And the fact that the show kind of doesn't take those extra steps to kind of dive into it, it's more like, well, that sucks. What can I do? That is kind of the bummer of it. And maybe there's, you know, kind of a point being made just about how children often fall victim in societies. What can you do? But the the logical loopholes we had to jump through to get to that end, you know, obviously the Enterprise had to rescue this kid in the first place just to send him there. Um, I don't know that we had that moment of reflection on any of that. And also, I thought this episode, a lot of it was sort of this look at people in a cult. What happens when people are trying to get out of a cult? And it didn't also feel like it was kind of tying the bow on that by the end either. It was, I don't know, like it felt kind of messy in a way where I would like maybe a stronger through line. Even like the fact that you have Pike talking about his future where he's going to be hooked up to a machine for what he thinks could be the rest of his life. And you have this kid who is going to spend the rest of their life in a machine. I like that they're not on the nose, but I just felt like there was more you could dive into there. Not a trick question, just your mm. honest take. Uh, did you yeah. enjoy watching this episode? I found it frustrating um, through great sections. I could kind of appreciate that they were doing some TOS world building with things like the coins and the necklaces and stuff. But like the love interest was so clearly shady that I found myself getting impatient waiting for the reveal. Um, so that to me definitely kind of wore on me. Like this was actually, I think a bit of a longer episode than some of the preceding ones we've had by, you know, four or five minutes or something, but it didn't feel like it was as well paced as the past ones. So was your answer? No. Yeah, I would say no. Yeah. So I think that kind of solidifies it. I was, I was kind of poking at the start of the, uh, the, uh, of our show here. I, I think yeah. this is Strange New World's first dud uh, at this point. Like we didn't really find this one pleasant, as you said, that there's very little, much of a deep dive into some of the themes here. Kim, I walk away from this one and I'm like, what was the message of this episode ultimately? Like the universe, yeah, it, it, it's pretty sucky, you know? It's just like, yeah, I guess so. It's, it, it's not as if the um, characters could overcome, you know, what was going on here. Maybe that's the message right there is, you know, as much as you might disagree with something, there's only so much you can do in these sorts of situations. You know, I, I I guess, but okay, is that what the writers were striving for? Do you think they set out to do that? Or do you think that's just what, sometimes like episodes just automatically kind of funnel into something that wasn't necessarily the intent from the outset. And a lot of it is because they don't necessarily know what the intent of the, of the outset at the outset was when it comes to writing these episodes. It's just like, yeah, let's write some stuff. Actions happen, see where it takes us. Yeah, what's interesting about this one was that when it presented, you know, they pulled, basically pulled the rug out from under the audience as to what the horror scenario was going to be here. I think a different Star Trek episode would have had Kirk, Picard, Janeway, whatever, actually have to have something happen in this moment. And the fact that it cut to basically Pike just attacking people and getting knocked out essentially removing all agency in the solution or at least the resolution to this storyline, I felt like that was really missing something. Like, I think they kind of took the easy way out in having a character grapple with it head on versus having someone just essentially removed from it and being told later, well, it's all done. Nothing you can do about it now. And I, I don't know. I just don't think they would have taken that kind of lazy way out with, say, TNG, for example. Well, maybe uh, maybe in season one. Definitely in season one. <laughs> Although, yeah, yeah. you know what? Picard really, really went to bat over that flower bed in Justice. That, yeah, that's a very good point there. Look, I, maybe kind of the, the broader things. Uh, these romance episodes, kind of the romance of the week that they do on Star Trek, very rarely do they work. You know, they always kind of seem like they're made out of obligation, especially when it comes to the captains. You know, I think of an episode like Second Sight with um, uh, Deep Space Nine in which Cisco is essentially accidentally dating twins and he doesn't realize it for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we have like an episode like Meridian, you know, that Dax mm -hmm. romance episode, um, Man of the People from uh, TNG. Uh, I, there's a few that may have worked, you know, like Captain's Holiday, Cupid, those were fun. But I also wonder how much of it had to do with the actress playing uh, Vash as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, okay, uh, Counterpoint from uh, Voyager worked, but none of the um, uh, spirit folk 
Irish holodeck stuff like really worked for me there. So I don't know. I just I don't think this is a winning formula whenever the writers go to this well, I, unless you know there, there's some Kirk stuff that definitely worked back in the day. But I, I think a lot of it just depends on who the performer is. And I don't like I don't know when I was looking at Smitten Pike uh, on the transporter pad, I was like, oh dear. We're in for one of these ones where, you know, uh, a woman from the past re-enters the scene and our sparks going to fly. I'm just like, oh, we've seen this a million times and so rarely does it work. And like, no wonder I was just kind of bored throughout this, you know, um, except when I was watching Mabenga's, um, you know, childcare arrangement, that guy's really got to figure something out better than this. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the best uh, situation. And the fact that it's also, like, apparently a secret from almost everyone on the crew, because he's like, don't tell anyone about this. It's like, uh, is it that big a deal to talk to people about it? I don't know. What will happen if he does? <laughs> like, what's the worst they're going to do? They might actually get Starfleet personnel to actually help him. <laughs> I like, I, he's hooked up the pattern buffer directly to the warp drive i think it's what they revealed a couple episodes ago words gotta get out somehow i think the worst thing that would happen to him would be they'd be saying well you know what like i don't know that this guy has his head in the right place to be the doctor on our flagship ship right now maybe we can send him somewhere that's a little bit of a quieter assignment where he can pursue his work i think that's the worst thing so it's almost like him keeping the secret is what justifies his continued role on the show as the doctor. <laughs> yeah. I, I just kind of wish uh, they'd give him something more than this as pretty much his defining character trait other than that awesome hat he was wearing mm -hmm. when he went angling uh, last episode. Yeah. I mean, we're only six episodes in. They can do more with this character going forward. But it's the sort of plot line where I go... They can't extend this forever. Like, we cannot be sitting through season four and five of Strange New Worlds and still have this be an ongoing oh. storyline. <laughs> the actress will be 20. Do they just keep <laughs> recasting her? Like... Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know what? I did not think about that. They have to write an out for this, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully she ends up in a better position than the uh, boy genius does, though. The first servant. Yeah, no kidding. Her voice is like changed and everything. She's like taller than him at some point. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't drag this out. So I would hope that they can resolve this by maybe the end of the season. We can go, okay, well, that was sort of the introduction to that character. We can do more things with them going forward. Um, I, I, I like sort of, there's something nice about just seeing like a parenting relationship on Star Trek that I think works. Like there's, the complications surrounding this one are definitely bizarre, but just seeing him sit there, read her stories and stuff. That's not the sort of normalcy you often get on Star Trek. A lot of the parenting is kind of weird. Like some of the Beverly Wesley stuff, I never really bought as actual parenting. The Ben Jake stuff really did work. I would like to see them maybe explore that a little more with uh, Mbenga because I, it feels like it's territory that you could definitely do something with. Well, I don't know. They tried it on Discovery with uh, Dr. Gabrielle Burnham. She turns into a Romulan nun and it's like, yo... I know I couldn't raise you, but I really made this big promise to these Romulan nuns, so uh, I don't think we're really going to be able to hang out as much as you'd like. Sorry, dear daughter. You also had Culber and Stamets adopting Adira. <laughs> a 30-year-old. <laughs> it's like yeah. when Ray was like, my last name is Skywalker. She's like pushing 40, and it's like... <laughs> okay sure and guess what listeners i know that adira was supposed to be 16 and ray actually i think ray was supposed to be like 25 though like by the end of the uh skywalker saga which uh, yeah I i'm not gonna excuse that there yeah i would say that's about what they intended um but you know space years are they can be tough <laughs> space years yeah <laughs> um i wonder kim do you think that with regards to Uhura's, like, being in the main cast, is she inevitably going to fall into the trap of, like, being besties with all these senior officers? And which, you know, they're giving a hard time in this episode, but she's inevitably just, we're going to see her on the episode where, you know, she goes, I don't know, uh, uh, parasailing with Ortegas hmm. or something like that. You know, it's like, I don't remember, you know, cadets... 
you know, dropping by 10 forward and, and, and like squeezing in between like a uh, Picard and Worf for like a drink. You know, the closest we got was uh, Sam uh, Lavelle uh, trying to make nice with Riker and started calling him a Canadian, which offended Riker to no end. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's awkward. I, I think there needs to be a little bit, a bit of a, a, an aloofness. A separation here but no matter what like captain pike is going to be captain dad and he was just doing kind of that smirk in the turbo lift with uh uhura as well and you could tell like even when you know uh uh lieutenant uh <laughs> nuni and singh um was like kind of giving her a hard time you know that she didn't really mean it you know she's just trying right. to teach her a lesson deep down you know i do appreciate that she is not only concentrating on comms that they're giving her other duties such as security but it, it seems a little bit forced at times, although I, I did appreciate them kind of giving her stuff to do rather than just sidelining her, which could have been kind of easy in an episode like this. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things going on with Uhura that I appreciate. I mean, number one, I agree with you. Like, I would like to see someone more on the same professional level as Uhura at some point. Maybe we can get a recurring character or something that can step in and kind of fulfill that role. That'd be nice. But... um. I think they're doing a couple of things well, which is just establishing relationships with her and the senior crew. I like that they're taking the time to do that because that's something that a lot of Star Trek shows didn't, you know, put the time into doing particularly well. And also the fact that I feel like a lot of these episodes with her being trained by various senior crew are actually making her more of a utilitarian player on the show. So instead of Ahura winding up in that trap, they so often, well, pretty much all the time, put her on TOS of, well, she does communications. And that's all. They're actually creating all these little jobs she can fulfill on the show. If they're doing an away team mission, she can go with them and help with security. She can help with engineering. She can do all these various jobs. And I think that's just good for the character. It's almost like I think they're just kind of planning out their long-term usage of the character. I just think about what, you know, Nichelle Nichols got to do in the last couple Star Trek movies versus what Zoe yeah. Saldana got to do or uh, what this uh, new version of Uhura is getting to do. And I, I think they really are, uh, they're on the right track with her. Like, I'm enjoying her presence on the show. I think they need to do more with Ortegas, though. Like, Ortegas is kind of at the point where she's sitting at her console making big expressions when stuff goes down you know and it's like let, let's let's find something in which she's more of an active participant in whatever's unfolding throughout the uh, season and if they can't find that i mean okay give her another shot in season two but if a character is just not working you got a another travis mayweather on your hands it's that era of tv where you just kind of cut bait on a character and find i don't know for me like uh sam kirk is <laughs> in his uh, sparse appearances he's working better for me than ortega's is despite the fact that i i find ortega's quite delightful they just they need to give her more to do yeah like she's clearly like funny she has you know good comedic timing um i like the relationship she had in spock amok um with chapel so there's something there it's just like we haven't gotten that ortega's episode yet they haven't given her any sort of character exploration and I'm just wondering how long they're going to drag that out because, you know, you mentioned Mayweather. That's the best example in the world. Mayweather was a bit of a blank. I wouldn't say Ortegas is a blank in terms of a personality, but she's fulfilling that similar role, which is a lot of I.I. Captain, you know, maybe toss off a wisecracker to. And we're only getting the odd moment, like the last one where she spent some time, you know, as kind of the confidant to Chapel, which Mayweather in his best moments, would get a scene where he was sharing screen time with, you know, Trip or something like that. But you got to do better than that. You can't have another Mayweather on the ship. I agree. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I, I just think, do you remember, I think it was season three of Discovery. I think I was the one asking, like, what would have happened if Stamets simply was not in the entire season? Would any of the storyline change at all? Like, he had yeah. really no impact on the storyline. It was mostly just the focus on raising his elderly daughter. And I just kind of figured, like, they need to be careful about that. Because if you have a character who can be excised from any given episode and nothing really changes, well, I, you, you got to figure out, like, how you better integrate this person in. And, and I also kind of think of Hammer, too, at this point. They've given, I, I think they've done better with Hammer than Ortega's, but, like, 
he's been missing from a few episodes, and it really hasn't seemed to matter too much based on the story. He he's kind of turning into an Argyle by accident. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear Argyle, how we miss you. It's weird because Hammer's in the main cast, incredibly distinct character. Like there's so much to be doing with with him, and yet the first episode. You almost forget he's in it because he just pops on silently at the very end, beaming onto the ship. And you're right, yeah, like two episodes where he's not even present. I mean, I hope for the case, you know, in the case of the actor, he's maybe got other jobs he's doing that are, you know, paying him well. But I don't know if that's the case. It's just very strange that he's being ignored as well. I just uh, remember, like, when we were doing kind of our uh, Strange New Worlds uh, preview, and there's kind of discrepancy about whether or not he'd be in the main cast. Uh, Wikipedia said he's recurring, whereas he ended up in the uh, main credits. I kind of wonder if that was kind of a last-minute thing, and, like, he originally was just supposed to be recurring. That's entirely possible, yeah, and maybe they'd written a number of scripts already? Uh, who knows, right? Yeah. Look, I, I just... <laughs> it's almost unfair of us because we're literally six episodes into the first season. Imagine where we were with six episodes into like TNG, you know? So it's like, uh, we're, we're being a little harsh on the show. I don't think we're being unfair to the show, but it's also like uh, first season is where you're generally still finding your feet in terms of the, both the character and story dynamics. And I should emphasize this enough. I I'm down on this episode. I think it's far and away the weakest of the bunch. I, I still think that this is a, a very enjoyable show. They have a much stronger grasp on what their uh, raison d'etre is supposed to be. Unlike, you know, Picard and Discovery, they've struggled with that throughout the, all their seasons. Yeah, I mean, you have a very great sense of what this show's about, and just grounding it with the character of Pike has worked incredibly well, where even in an episode like this, where I'm kind of left feeling a little unsatisfied at the end, you can't say Anson Mount isn't just, like, killing it. Like, he's mining some material that maybe isn't great, but just doing it to incredible effect. Like, the guy's a pro. Oh, for sure. Like, no one can swig whiskey just like that. So uh, props to him. Uh, will they release um, some uh, sort of a Pike-themed whiskey uh, <laughs> at some point? <laughs> maybe at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas this year, possibly. I, I had a question for you, though. You know, we're talking about how this one didn't really connect. What do you think would have helped it? Like, what could have fixed this episode to maybe make it something a little more compelling? Okay, you know what? Uh, the freaky reveal would have had to happen by the end of the first act. Uh, yeah. There was never sort of any love interest. And it get, the show from the second act onward, it, it is getting serious and it is getting creepy. You know, it, maybe there's a few more people uh, stuck on the planet with Pike, you know, from the crew they're like, we need to get off. We need to kind of somehow speak to the society. Maybe they could have, like, we can objectively say, oh, yeah, you know, different cultures. You cannot judge. And I can say, oh, BS. You know, I, I can <laughs> fully judge this culture for what it's doing. And I, I would say, like, what if Pike could have had some sort of persuasive diplomatic speech at the end to at least make some people kind of change their minds and attitudes. We do see that there were fragments uh, within this society, you know, whether it's that guard who uh, seems to be pretty incompetent, you know, because he leaves his uh, precious coin behind, can't forge a decent copy, then his brother-in-arms is instantly incinerated, then he can't execute the love interest of Pike's before she punches him and then he falls on his own dagger. But, you know, we do see that there is some sort of fragmentation within society. So I, I, I'm wondering... I hope it, I hope we don't have to follow up with this one because I, I I'd be happy to just forget about it. But I wonder if they are almost setting up like maybe a follow up, you know, I don't know, maybe in season two or we hear something has changed within the society or something like that. But I I think this one could have been fixable. But I think I don't know just the way that the story is structured just didn't really work from the outset because it was also just like uh, I don't know it felt deflated from the word go to a certain degree. Well, it had a general air of heaviness, even if you didn't have the reveal yet. And so, yeah, I I think if they'd revealed that early on, you know, the way that Taste of Armageddon did, where you understand what the concept of this planet is, so you understand why Kirk at the end is going to kind of question the core of this society and potentially shut it down. 
I think that's something that Star Trek can do really well, where maybe you could have, you know, this child wind up in this situation, you know that they can't be saved, but the rest of the episode could be Pike dealing to make sure that that doesn't happen again and have a line where, you know, we couldn't save him, but we can save the next one or something along those lines where it's a sense of understanding kind of the horror of what's going on while also acknowledging that things can change and get better. This one kind of ended with a, well, <laughs> there's a lot of kids that are in for a lot of bad lives coming up. Yeah, really? <laughs> Uh, okay, well, look, uh, maybe a couple other points I, I I can point out. I do like how he was setting up the love interest, you know, like, uh, hey, baby, uh, FYI, I won't be around for, uh, the long haul. I just want you to know that in advance. And, uh, it's just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but also lines like, uh, bad luck with shuttles are oh so good. Staring at Pike, I was like, uh, <laughs> puke, um... Uh, and uh, like I don't know, it's just I, I I am glad that they didn't try to stretch out the mystery of the first servants and the blown up cruiser because not for an instant did I think that the cruiser was actually destroyed. Uh, right. But then I didn't think that it would end up with kind of the the first servant being drained of his uh, brain power till he turns into kind of a mummified corpse uh, at a certain point. So. I don't know. There, there, this episode wasn't all bad. I like. I, I won't say it's an all-out uh, stinker, like an episode like of Monsters from uh, Star Trek yeah. Picard. I just think it's the first dud of Strange New Worlds. That's all. And I feel the same way. Where my takeaway wasn't that this was like a bad episode. It was just a very kind of like middle of the road one. It's it's kind of like a classic, you know, middle of the road Berman era Star Trek episode where you watch it and you go, didn't really care that much for that one. But that's okay. There's something else next week. It didn't... Monsters is a great example, or Sukal, or some of these ones where when I've been watching them, I've been actively miserable just making it to the end of the episode. I didn't feel that way at all. It was more like the signposts were all pointing in a certain direction, and the show wasn't doing a very uh, good job at hiding them. It was just saying like, oh, don't trust this woman. Something shady's going on. So you kind of knew that something bad was going to happen, and you're just kind of waiting to get there, which is why I think... As you said, if you reveal that earlier on, it would probably, you could deal with the ramifications of it. That would be maybe more interesting, at least um, intellectually. It's just an episode that, like, if you ask me about doing, you know, the revisit of season one, Strange New Worlds, as we so often do with um, seasons of Star Trek on this show, I'm not going to be that excited about revisiting this one, which I tend to like to be, even with serious episodes. I'll watch Taste of Armageddon or a lot of other serious episodes over and over again. The Drumhead. Drumhead is not a laugh fest but I'll sit there and watch it over and over again because I find it so compelling. That's not really the case with this one, and that's yeah. kind of a bummer. I agree. Uh, speaking of bummers, Cam, you want to talk about Obi-Wan? Yeah, I just had, sorry, one note just on the love interest. Like, wouldn't you just like to know how these two met in the first place? It seems like this woman comes from a very specific society. I'd like to know what their relationship was before all of these sort of events. Very strange. Well, I think she had another shuttle issue. Uh, <laughs> no, like uh, yeah, 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 I know. I, I think he established that, and uh, yeah. and then he was he talking about quasars or pulsars or some sort of rescue mission that he had to do. Oh, um, it was a pulsar. I noted that. Okay, uh, just like your heart cam, <laughs> it was a pulsarating <laughs> during all this romance here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. I Love interests are really tough to do, as you said, in these one-episode uh, stories. And uh, I'll post a link to that episode we did on... I don't remember what we called it, but I think it was like Flings of the Week or something. That was a really yeah, fun one. Yeah. But as you said, uh, Obi-Wan. Uh, speaking of biggest duds of the season, Cam. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was so bored. I was just so bored watching this one. Uh, just think about the uh, first uh, season episode of Mando in which they had kind of the jailbreak and think about how much tension there was, how much kind of dark humor that was, just how much kind of um that one just moved at a clip and it was it was fun and, and I I was seeing things in Star Wars I didn't quite expect. I was seeing Bill Burr with a Boston accent in outer space, which is um, something. This was just like uh paint by numbers, lazy, sort of uncompelling writing. I don't feel as if I know anything about Obi-Wan uh, by the end of this episode that I didn't already know before this one started. And I don't know. I, I'm just, I, it, it's the same with the whole Patrick Stewart and Jean-Luc Picard 
scenario in which you have this uh, beloved character with uh, who's backed by an amazing actor, and this is the best you can think uh, for them to do in terms of a story. This one I found very frustrating. Um, it's not... I didn't find it maybe as painful to get through as you do, uh, as you did, or as boring. But it was just like watching. It, I'm like, boy, remember that time Obi Wan broke into a heavily guarded Imperial base to rescue Leia? But enough about Star Wars: A New Hope. It was like that kind of episode where I'm like, I've yeah. seen this. They're even doing callbacks to that rescue where Obi Wan is doing the make a sound so stormtroopers run in the opposite direction kind of stuff. You have the shootout the way you had in A New Hope. They are just like strip mining classic Star Wars for like a show like this. And I'm like, come on. Like, why are we doing this? And when I was watching young Leia get strapped into that torture rack, I was like, what is this? Like, who is this for? Like, I don't know that I'd be like showing this to my kids enthusiastically. Is it trying to be like edgier for the adult viewers? I have no idea. But if it is for adult viewers, why are you having a 10-year-old child like make your main villain look like a clown? What is that <laughs> supposed to do for their threat level? Like this woman has been bought has been basically, you know, bossed over by Leia as a 10-year-old. And on top of that, Tyler, imagine you were 10 years old, okay? And you got kidnapped. And they were like, Tyler, we are going to torture you. Unless you tell us about your parents' financial records, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I would pull up their uh, their entire portfolio and spill it in an instant. Because of course, my parents they, they kept me uh, filled in and all of that stuff uh, back in the day as well. Exactly. Why would this ten year old have knowledge about secret bases and what have you? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just the show's not working. Uh, it's kind of sad because I was pumped for it. And, uh, you know, okay, after last week, I was just like, okay, this is, like, it showed potential with the first episode, and then it just kind of simmered out, and at this point, four episodes in, I'm like, oh, this is just what the show is. It's it's just not compelling, and so, look, maybe they have some sort of bombastic finale in two weeks or something that will be fun to watch but i'll keep asking myself was it all worth this journey that we had to go on and so far the journey hasn't been interesting at all and they you know ended this episode with well we put a tracker on their ship again a classic star wars trope um boy no original ideas going on at the uh, writing staff of obi-wan but it seems like it's just going to end with some sort of battle at a base with the imperials pursuing them now which isn't particularly interesting and you know, if you're going to do... You cited that prison episode of Mandalorian, which was fantastic. This episode, you had them going to that base. As you said, there's no tension. It's like three people basically leaving this this base. A heavily fortified base filled with stormtroopers. They just walked in and out, no problem. There's like no inherent danger. And you had that moment. There's some really bad action direction on this show, which I don't really get because... The Star Wars shows have been pretty good at that, but I remember that scene in episode one where young Leia was being chased through the woods and it just looked hilarious. This one <laughs> had that moment where, um, I don't remember the character's name, but the female ally of Obi-Wan um, like takes down a group of stormtroopers in a very poorly choreographed like fight. It looks like she basically just like lightly shoves one of them. And it's like, come on, guys, like you can do better than this. Like that's what Star Wars is so heavily based around is like these, you know, cliffhanger, serial sort of storytelling methods. And they're just failing at that. It's so weird. I don't really understand what's going on. I got to laugh when the uh, the attack ship returned at the very end and the uh, captain of the larger sort of, I guess, carrier was like, hey, where's <laughs> where's Kevin? And he just has this smile on his face. Hey. And he's like, no, seriously, where's Kevin? It's like, dude, did you not realize there's Read only the one ship that landed? <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, Maya Erskine's got like this big frown on her face. And it's like, uh, come on, bro. Not that hard to do the math. He didn't make it back. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, like, it's just like, so they scrapped the original scripts for this show. Yeah. Like, oh, like, was it because those scripts, it, like, We've heard mixed things. Like some have said that the scripts just weren't good. Others have said that it, they were too dark. 
Hmm. I'm kind of willing to like entertain like maybe those scripts are actually better. Maybe they just gave us more of a, a vanilla version of whatever was originally in store. You know, this just isn't compelling to me at all. Well, what is the story of this season? We're four episodes in. There's no excuse for us not being able to say what the story is because you had Obi-Wan at the start seemingly having lost his, you know, connection to the Force and the Jedi way. But it's not like the show is really making a point to underline his rediscovery of these elements. He's just pulling out lightsabers now and using the Force, you know, holding up together broken windows and things. But it doesn't seem like there's any moment of contemplation. It's just like... Well, that was just kind of the setup, but it's really just Rescue Leia the story, which is not, well, again, it's not diving into anything with subtext or any sort of layers. It's just like a premise as opposed to a story. Yeah, let's say uh, it's been, I don't know, a year since you've exercised and you were just absolutely badass a year ago. Um, hmm. This kind of seems as if, you know, like, uh, yeah, I just need to stretch my muscles. My you know, kind of body needs to get used to the rigors, get that cardio in. And then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be back to my old form. As opposed to just, you know, it all being like a psychological issue, you know, where like, yeah, I just need to uh, visualize myself being the, the ace athlete that I was a year ago. And then it'll all happen. It's Obi-Wan's not really going through a character journey so much it's like he lost his mojo was feeling bummed out and it just seems like we're remember the sad keanu uh memes hmm. it just seems as if of we're course. getting yeah <laughs> sad obi-wan keanu uh memes <laughs> for like the last four episodes and i i don't know i i guess leia's gonna teach him what it is like to care yet again for like young younglings like i don't know i got we got two episodes to figure it out also this one did you notice we're in like kind of picard running time kind of territory here this one was like maybe 32 minutes long altogether yeah that is correct i noted that as well yeah 32 minutes from beginning to end <laughs> i i don't know like there's so many issues that i feel like are easily solvable like even just the villain of this show has zero connection to Obi-Wan. That ain't great. Like, if you're going to have an antagonist, they're clearly not particularly threatening if they're being, you know, bested by a 10-year-old. But if you have a personal connection to Obi-Wan, at least that's something. Yes, you can say, well, there's Darth Vader. Of course he has a connection. But you've got to keep those two separate for the most part because of where A New Hope is going to go. So that's kind of already written the rule for how this show is going to roll. And so... Like, there has to be something personal pulling Obi-Wan through this, and I guess what they're using is just Leia, but he seems more annoyed by this kid a lot of the time. Yes, they hold hands by the end of this episode, whoop-de-doo, but, like, I don't know. Maybe if they had a stronger foundation to draw from in terms of those prequels, you could mine something there. Maybe that would have helped, but the relationship between Obi-Wan and Amidala, if I ask you about that now, you're like, uh... <laughs> Like, what was that relationship? I don't really remember. So maybe that just kind of extends to the kids. I don't know. Well, I think, wasn't there a lot of speculation that uh, Obi-Wan and Amidala were kind of getting it on, and that's what was making uh, Anakin so jealous? I think that was at least the joke among fandom, because there was way more chemistry, I think, with yes. Ewan McGregor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh. obvious. I mean, how could it not, right? <laughs> But I guess uh, I guess it was confirmed not to, not to have actually happened when uh, actually I don't know because Obi Wan was like I wish I could say I I was your father but uh, no uh, but I don't know this one's just uh, yikes yikes Obi Wan yeah and that's two in a row for Star Wars because Book of Boba Fett had because of those Mandalorian episodes at least two really good episodes but. It's two in a row now where it doesn't seem they had a particularly good handle on what their story was other than we have the rights to these characters and we can make a six episode show about them. It didn't feel like there was like a real passionate drive for them. And it makes me just very nervous with like, you know, news of like a potential Yoda show and things like that. I'm like, I don't know. Do you have a great Yoda story or is it that Yoda sells a lot of toys and you want to get that character back on TV? That's my big concern, because there's no real reason for this show to exist. It's not filling any sort of ground that was something that people were really, really questioning. 
I, I, and I don't mean to correct you, but I, I think you got your facts wrong there. It's actually going to be a Yertle spinoff that they're uh, oh. pursuing, Cam? <laughs> I wish. And for you know people who that's lost on, if you go back to episode one and just search, uh, I think it's, yeah, Yer- uh, Yodel or Yertle, um, there is a female Yoda species on the council, and it looks amazing. It's basically just like picture Yoda with like an Elvis hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like ginger. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Who has a better hairstyle, Yertle or Captain Pike on Strange New Worlds? I'll have to give it to Pike, you know, that he owns that Johnny Bravo pompadour. I'm sorry. I was watching him in that scene in the turbo lift with Ahura, and I'm like, at what point does this hairstyle just become comedic when I'm expected to take this character seriously? Well, <laughs> Cam, if there's going to be Captain Pike cosplay at the conventions, they're going to have to go to the extreme with like the pompadour, though. Like uh, that, it, It's going to be kind of like the, the Ace Ventura version of it. It almost feels like because of Boimler on, um, on Lower Decks, it's almost given them license now to experiment with crazy hairstyles. <laughs> I don't know. But I kind of appreciate it because say what you will about that Pike hairstyle, it'll never go out of style because no one's doing that now. <laughs> well, yeah, you know... Uh, uh... Same can't be said for, like, say, Spock, though. You know, that that was never in style, you know. So, uh, like, yeah, Pike's going, like, uh, retro, hipster hipster retro right now. That's right. I think, um, you know, I, I hope that if we go to the convention, there's, like, a lot of 20-year-olds with that hairstyle now. I mean, I can't do it, but please, 20-year-olds, bring the Pike style oh. to life. No, then it's really going to be the, the Chekhov hairstyle that's going to come next. I can't wait until they get uh, the monkeys do uh, coming back again. I am really curious, not relating to Chekhov, but at what point do you think we're going to see Sulu show up on this show? As the botanist? You would have to be, right? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. Um, yeah. and you, so you got me thinking as well. You know how the love interest... Look, we can't even remember what her name was. That's how, you know, like... I think it's Alora. Oh, yeah, Alora, okay. She kept referring to him as... Or she initially referred to him as Lieutenant Pike. You know, and he said that he was on in that system ten years ago, but didn't the cage take place about five years prior to where we are right now, which would indicate that he went from lieutenant to captain of the flagship in the span of five years. Like that's a uh, a William T. Riker trajectory uh, when we think about how quickly he went from ensign to uh, first officer of the flagship and we did the math there based on the episode pegasus that would have been seven years how many weeks did it take kirk to get there in star trek 2009 you mean hours <laughs> hours minutes <laughs> yeah. okay no one will be, be able to beat that record i'm sorry then and remember how in star trek beyond he was offered uh the admiralty like yeah so in the course of what would have been seven years he would have gone from cadet to admiral like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not something that was, I don't know, like, the, the Riker stuff I could always kind of buy, but, like, it's, I, I feel like because of Star Trek 2009, it's kind of opened the door to these fast promotions. That's why I really think, like, it's not going to be that long before Uhura is just, like, senior crew. She's going to get kind of the uh, the Tilly promotion, you know, by the uh-huh. end of season one. That's kind of what you figure. Maybe like a promotion every season or something. Well, how many promotions does she have to go to get to where she was in TOS? Not too many. I think like two, because I think she okay. was a, a lieutenant junior grade, if I recall uh, correctly. Although we didn't see the bars uh, on her wrist because didn't like she didn't have cuffs because like the women uh, didn't have cuffs on their uniforms, right? Weren't they kind of bare armed to a certain degree? Um, I think, oh, I, I don't, I think they did have sleeves. Um, they did on TOS, but in, I don't know. Now I'm questioning myself. Uh, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm looking at a picture of Uhura right now. Uh, she does have sleeves. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I was getting mixed up. I, I think I was getting mixed up with, um, the 2009 uniforms, uh, that women, uh, were wearing. I don't think they had sleeves there. Um, Actually, no, I'm looking at Zoe Saldana. <laughs> no, but you know what? Like, here, here's the deal. Uh, I think it's Zoe Saldana from Into Darkness. So Okay, right. Okay. So I, okay, so I am looking at Uhura's uh, cuffs. It's one solid bar. 
So is that just so is that a full lieutenant then? I am the absolute worst with Star Trek rankings in terms of like the badges they're wearing. So bad at it. Because I believe that in TOS Spock had one solid bar and then kind of one wavy bar and that made him a lieutenant commander if I recall correctly. Oh no, you know, I'm looking it up now. It looks as if he had two solid bars. Okay. Uh, and uh, but Kirk had the wavy bar and two solid bars that made him a captain, I believe. Um, anyways, it's very confusing. I believe. Okay, my guess is that uh, Uhura was a full blown lieutenant uh, by the time we got to TOS. Which, if I'm correct in the math, is that about like six, seven years from now, from the time that we see uh, see uh, Kirk and company there? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so um, pretty much everyone's going to die except for uh, Chapel, Mabenga, and Spock by the end of the show, right? <laughs> pretty much, yes. I am really interested to see how long they go back to the Pike seeing his future aspect. I, I'm totally fine with them milking it for all they want through season one, but like, do you think that's going to be something they're still touching back on constantly through seasons you know, three and four? Um. I guess so. I just, won't that get a little old, you know? That, I mean, that's it, how I they, feel. Unless they treated it similar to uh, the loss of Jennifer Cisco. It wasn't something that defined Ben throughout the entire series, but it was something that was not forgotten about. And I think that should be kind of the distinction here. Is that as long as it's not the defining characteristic of Pike, which I don't think it is, at no. this point, I, I think it's fine. But as long as they kind of acknowledge it and don't forget about it, it'd be kind of weird if they just forgot about it. And I do feel like the ultimate arc of that character is going to be him making peace with where he's headed. Um, but he, I guess of the characters, he's not the one I'm at all concerned about because it just feels like they're, he, you know, Anson Mount is really killing it. And I feel like the writers are just really excited to come up with things for him. But it is the sort of like hook for a character that like it's best when it's not overly um, acknowledged. It's something that's better just kind of bubbling under the surface of the character. And I did appreciate in this episode that like, you know, when the kids hooked up to the battery at the end, that Pike doesn't say something like, that's like me. How, you know, what my future is. I like that they didn't put the, uh, you know, kind of the button on that one. Well, or else him saying like. I've been looking up photos of children because they're going to be the ones that I save. Just the same age as this child here. Mm, yeah, yeah. All right, so next week we'll be, of course, be tackling episode seven of Strange New Worlds. Uh, I, and this is why I like the show. It's, even if you have a dud like this one, um, this can be a quick bounce back the next week. They, you can genre hop. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pumped for kind of... We are getting into kind of the, the final stretch of the first season right now so i'm curious what that will entail and um i think we're bound to hear some more confirmed news about at least when the day of uh the season three premiere of lower decks will be it my guess would be sometime in august but uh yeah after that i'm i'm guessing picard maybe as early as the fall because they don't have anything else close to uh wrapping filming uh with regards to uh discovery or strange new world season two yeah which one are you the most excited for uh between uh discovery <laughs> and picard or is lower that... decks is lower decks is obviously gonna be number one but like between discovery and picard which is the one that you're like that's the one i'm most looking forward to covering <laughs> um like on okay so i i found season four of discovery kind of miserable to cover yeah uh, just Picard went so off the rails. I actually had a fun time, like just crapping all over the show with you. Like yeah. it was just a show where we were like, "What is going on? I, how can the writing be this bad?" In, in like just basic storytelling, like they they just did not know how to do it. Whereas at least there was basic storytelling on Discovery season four. It was just incredibly boring, like profoundly uncompelling. There, so like at least you'll bring back the. Um, the much beloved legacy characters we've all really <laughs> been waiting for since uh, this show started. We'll get, you know, TNG 2.0, essentially, I, I suppose, or the closest thing. 
All we can do is hope that they, they somehow won't muck it up. Although at this point, two seasons in, they ha these writers really have not proven themselves capable of that. The thing I'm most excited about with Discovery is, and this is what I'm hoping for, that they, when they start airing the season, make it very clear it's the final season of Star Trek Discovery. Because, you know, as we've talked about, it's 10 episodes. They're not even doing their usual 15 or 13 or whatever. The fact that it's cut back to 10, I feel like this show's kind of run its course. I think, as, you know, we've talked about in the past, like streaming shows don't tend to go past five seasons, really. Well, so like four I, seasons, like... Yeah, I, Discovery. I I I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I've already have. I don't know. Whatever. It, it, season five will be the last one. I feel very confident about that. Yeah, the show's not bringing in any new viewers at this point. It's only losing them. So there's no point really continuing, considering how expensive it is. But like, my hope is they make that very clear right from the get go, and so it's more like we can talk about charting the, the course to the end of Star Trek Discovery. I think that could at least be interesting for me. So at least. You know, TNG stuff, that'll give us a lot to talk about. I'm hoping it's like, you know, the the wrap-up to Star Trek Discovery. What does it all mean? <laughs> I don't know. The show still doesn't know what it is, though, Cam. Like, that's that's the problem. Like, it, it's so clearly like a show without a uh, a lodestar in front of it. You know, and that, that's what happens when you don't really have these kind of tour-driven shows. It, 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 it seems more like a throwback to you know, late 90s, like, WB dramas where, you know, you'd have uh, one or two showrunners every year. They'd get burnt out making 22 episodes, and then they pass it on to the next showrunner for uh, to, to find out what happens to Dawson and uh, company, hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, okay. Well, you can, of course, leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Very much appreciated with rankings and whatnot. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Vixen Wooing Pike Smith. Uh, you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, -E as in Neural Dampners make me a whole lot smarter. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.